The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinny Politan with another audio edition of the Court TV original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall on the Court TV podcast. Susan and Jeff Wright appeared to lead a happy life with their two young children in a suburb of Houston until Jeff's body was discovered by police buried under a doghouse in their backyard. Susan would admit to the fatal stabbings, but was this a case of cold-blooded murder or perhaps self-defense? Featuring interviews with Prosecutor Murray Newman, Defense Attorney Brian Weiss, and journalist Mike Babinek, this is Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, the Blue-Eyed Butcher. This is the Court TV Podcast. You never know what's real behind the scenes when you're looking at any married couple. Jeff and Susan Wright were a picture-perfect, sweet little family. Jeff Wright was like the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. He had two sides, drunk and sober. One, two, three, four, five. How can a human being do what she did to myself? She's evil. Susan Weich grew up in Texas. Her mom, a stay-at-home mother. Her dad, a mechanical engineer. After high school, Susan took a few junior college classes and bounced around from job to job. But on a trip to Galveston in 1997, she met a salesman named Jeff Wright. And it wasn't long before he told her that he loved her. They married in 1998, about a month before their son Bradley was born. Kaylee joined the family a couple of years later and from the outside, the Wrights seem like a happy, middle-class family living in a suburb of Houston. Jeff hoping his $47 didn't go ill-spent. Yeah! You never know what's real behind the scenes when you're looking at any married couple. He sold carpet. She was a stay-at-home mom with, with two kids. You probably thought that they were a typical, normal, suburban couple. Jeff and Susan Wright were a normal, middle-class couple, lived here in Houston. Susan was in her 20s. Jeff was a little bit older than her. They had a couple kids. Jeff was a fan of boxing. That was kind of a hobby of his. He liked to party a little bit. He was kind of an average guy. The jobs that Susan had before she met Jeff were primarily working her way through nursing school. She was a waitress. She was also a dancer at a strip club. So, Mom, give me a little milk to, <laughs> to wash down that wonderful sulfur dioxide. Jeff was a good-looking guy. He had the gift of gab. But to me, he had so many levels to a deviant, destructive personality that Susan, like a lot of smart women, looked past. Chemistry is powerful, and chemistry will fill in a lot of the gaps on the relationship canvas. 
Jeff wasn't the best boyfriend, but he was still very sweet to her, at least at the beginning. Hey, Bradley. What's up, buddy? Hey, son. What time is it? Jeff Wright, early on, like so many charming guys who have that dark side to them, was in what some of us call the honeymoon stage. Of course he courted her. Of course he wooed her. He brought her flowers and presents and made her think that she was the most important thing in his world. As soon as they got married and started having children, things just took a turn for the worse. Got any love for me and my lover want them? Well, what she look like? <laughs> you look at Susan through the prism of hindsight and you think to yourself, how could she have ever found herself in this situation? Their relationship fits the profile of an abuser. There was a power differential in age. She was a stay-at-home wife. He was working. He was liked by a lot of people. Abusers are really good at manipulating. They can prevent a space from being created where a survivor can't speak out. If Susan would have told, who would have believed her? Jeff Wright as a human being was not unlike the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. It's the 85% below the surface that brought that ship to its ruin, and it was the 85% of Jeff's personality that, that Susan was unable, unwilling to see. So how long did they leave you under that dryer? Way too long, because my hair's about as light as that little light bulb is on there. Domestic violence is not bound by any area code, zip code, economic earning range. It happens in the best of places, in the best of neighborhoods, and like so many battered women, Susan didn't believe that reporting it would ultimately make a difference. Susan Wright was, in my estimation, a poster child for being a battered woman. From all appearances, Susan and Jeff Wright and their two young children were living the dream. But there was reportedly a dark side to their marriage, and it all came to a head in January 2003, after Jeff came back home one night, allegedly high on cocaine. So the night of January 13th, 2003, Jeff had come home from a boxing lesson and wanted to, I guess, spar with his son, and ended up actually popping his son in the face. And Susan pulled Jeff aside and was like, you know, we need to get this under control. I think your drug problem might be out of control. Let's get you help. And according to Susan, he then pulled her into the bedroom, began to physically assault her and raped her. Whether you call it rape, sexual assault, non-consensual intercourse, any one of those will do. Because I believe in my heart of hearts that the final time that Jeffrey Wright was intimate with Susan Wright was holy wholly non-consensual. He took out a knife and Susan kicked him, grabbed the knife and began stabbing him. And she stabbed him 193 times. The media gave her the nickname, the blue-eyed butcher of the Houston suburbs. Anytime that we're dealing with something that is just explosive rage like that, it didn't just come from a perfectly well-adjusted human being. I think she definitely had some pent-up emotions. 193 stab wounds could be rage. It could also be the brain shutting down and responding out of fear, out of danger. Let's face it, 
one stab wound can be fatal. The sheer number got into kind of a question of rage, intent, and the only person that knows for sure would be Susan Wright. We 100% believed that she had lured him into the bedroom with the, the promise of some level of, lack of a better term, kinky sex. There was candle wax on his genitalia. There was the bondage. He had every arm and leg tied up. Seduction turns slaughter, rolls off the tongue, but merely because it rolls off the tongue doesn't mean that it's true. It's a shorthand rendition of a monumentally complicated situation at the intersection of battered women's syndrome and sheer anger. Personally, I think after she got done with the rage stabbing that probably led to it, was probably just trying to make sure that he was completely dead. There's an instinct as a mother to protect your child. And then if that escalated, just the overwhelming experience of, of the shutdown of some of the systems in the brain that just escalated the situation because she wasn't able to think through in, in the way that we would as a normal, level-headed, not triggering individual, there must have been just incredible levels of danger and, and fear for her. Jeff was actually found in the backyard because of their family dog digging him up out of the ground. To cover up what she had done, Susan had taken Jeff's body on a dolly, tied him up, and put him in a pre-dug hole that Jeff had actually dug himself a few weeks prior to uh, install a fountain in their backyard. Investigators said they found this operation kind of in midstream. There was uh, a bit of a cleanup operation that went on inside the house. Carpet removed, some paint replaced, some bleach. I think that Susan was waging a war with the family dog to keep the, the crime scene covered up. The prevailing theme of what we were looking at was this is the most bizarre crime scene ever. You had this soccer mom appearing individual who, who suddenly just created one of the bloodiest crime scenes that Harris County has ever seen. Something there doesn't gel. She also made other plans to kind of go along with what she had already done. She changed their voicemail to their home, took his name off of the voicemail. She called Child Protective Services to report that there was abuse going on in the home. The prosecutor said that it was the first time that there had been any formal reporting of some sort of domestic dispute or abuse. So she got the restraining order. Of course, as everyone learned later, Mr. Wright was already deceased. Susan acted in a monumentally irrational way that in her mind was the epitome of rationality. She knew that something had happened. I'm not sure in her own mind's eye at that point she realized what she had done, but she did what so many people in that situation do, cover it up. Die, bitch. Those were the words that Jeffrey Wright told Susan Wright when he hovered over her in the bed with a knife. There was no question that Susan Wright killed Jeff Wright by stabbing him 193 times. Was there a history of domestic abuse? Was this self-defense or murderous rage? There were two versions of what happened in their bedroom that night, but only Susan was alive to tell the story. 
you're a lawyer and someone shows up in your office and tells you that they've committed a crime and the police don't know about it yet, what do you do? What are your obligations? And that was the scenario that Neil Davis had when Susan Wright at some point contacted his office and said, I killed my husband and he's he's buried in a, in a hole that he dug as part of a, a garden. Neil Davis, who at that time was a young rookie criminal defense attorney, went down to the intake division of the Harris County District Attorney's Office and talked to a senior prosecutor. Neil had to relate to her You'll find a body at this location. Anything that was done in the buildup of getting ready for the trial was shrouded in attorney-client secrecy. And by the time we met Jeff and Susan Wright, they were the complainant and the defendant. Is the state ready? The state is ready, Your Honor. Is the defense ready? Defense is ready, Your Honor. Very well. Kelly Siegler is a very well-known prosecutor in Houston. She is very dramatic, has a flair for the theatrics. Susan Lucille Wright stabbed and mutilated her husband, Jeffrey Wright, on January 13, 2003. Theirs was not a perfect marriage. The evidence will show you that, but whose is? This defendant made a choice. And in the United States of America, where half of all marriages end in divorce, her choice was not to stay in her marriage. Her choice was not to work on her marriage. Her choice, her decision was not to get a divorce. Her choice was to end her marriage by ending the life of Jeffrey Wright. Kelly Siegler was kind of a rock star prosecutor uh, in the Special Crimes Division of the Harris County District Attorney's Office, which was the elite prosecutors that, that handled big cases, tricky cases. Something. Kelly is incredibly adept at what she does. Kelly has the ability to push all of the buttons to find the ultimate third rail that the jury expects a killer prosecutor to go for. They've grown up, this generation of jurors watching Law and Order and the practice in L.A. law. And here's Kelly. They want to tell you post-traumatic stress syndrome. How about cover your tail syndrome? That's what went on that week after she killed Jeffrey Wright. This case is not about self-defense. This case is about selfishness. Die, bitch. Those were the words that Jeffrey Wright told Susan Wright the evening of January 13th, 2003, when he hovered over her in the bed with a knife. In that moment, she's got to make a split-second decision. We're going to show you that she had to decide whether she was going to do something about it or she was going to be killed. Susan was trapped. There's no other way to describe it. She saw herself on that night at an intersection, one of which results in Susan being buried in the backyard or Jeff Wright. She was convinced that if she left Jeff, he would kill her. And out of sheer terror, she stabbed him over and over. Ladies and gentlemen, Susan Wright is not guilty because she acted in self-defense. At the end of this case, I'm going to ask you to end this nightmare for Susan. Let her get on with her life and find her not guilty. 
Thank you. Self-defense was the ultimate defense strategy for Susan Wright's team, claiming that the abuse situation had lasted to the point and boiled to the point where she felt like she had no way out. Kelly Sigler, the prosecutor in the case, countered that even if there was abuse, that it did not justify this kind of killing because it was not a defensive killing. We never believed that Jeff Wright was the perfect husband or perfect human being, but we absolutely never got the impression that he was the serial abuser that she attempted to portray him as during trial. Did you ever see anything that indicated to you there was any abuse going on in that marriage? No, I did not. Did you ever witness Jeff physically abuse Susan? So many over the years. How would you describe their relationship? Jeff was very controlling toward Susan. Was it more like uh, a master-slave relationship? Definitely. Who was the master? Jeff was. And the slave? Susan. Was Jeff a person who was prone to anger or prone to, to temper tantrums, or was he a peaceful person? How would you describe him? He had two sides. What were those two sides? Drunk and sober. Knowing the kind of person Jeff is, as you know him, would it surprise you if he physically abused a woman? No. Did it seem like something out of Leave it to Beaver? No. Did it seem like something out of Ozzy and Harriet? No. When you found out that there is a death on Berry Street, who was the person that you thought died? I thought it was her. Now, even more questions. Was Jeff Wright a friendly, sometimes hard-partying friend and father, or a controlling, abusive husband? Did Susan kill Jeff fighting for her life, or did she plan a brutal murder and attempt to cover up her crime? Whichever story the jury was believing, Kelly Siegler, the no-nonsense prosecutor, was about to raise the level of drama in the courtroom. Kelly Sigler, the prosecutor in the case, portrayed Susan Wright as an angry wife who wanted to kill her husband. And again, there was the issue of domestic abuse, even if there had been domestic abuse in the relationship, according to prosecutors, there was no defense for what she did. How many wounds altogether were in the head area of Jeffrey Wright's body, sir? 41 face and the left side of the head, 23 in the neck. How many wounds to the abdomen, sir? 22. How many total wounds to pubic region and genitalia area? Seven. What is your opinion as to the cause of death of Jeffrey Wright? Multiple sharp force injuries. You're in no way here to testify or give an opinion as to whether Susan Wright acted in self-defense, correct? He was restrained when these wounds were inflicted. Now, that's your opinion. That is my opinion based on the injuries and other findings at the scene and in autopsy. Were you there at the time of death? No. As brutal as the killing was, and as spectacular as some of the details were, if you ask anybody that's at all familiar with this case, what the thing they remember most about it is, it's Kelly Siegler on top of the lawyer in the, in the bed in the courtroom mimicking the stabbing. 
Kelly basically brought in the bed that Jeff Wright had been murdered in and recreated the scene in the courtroom because she wanted to send the message home to the jury that this isn't just some flat crime scene photo. This was a man who, who met his demise in a slow, painful, horrific fashion right here, right in front of you. If I stand next to the defendant and we're both barefooted, do we appear to be the same height? Very close. And how tall it might be possibly the single most gripping courtroom scene we've had locally and nationally. She brought the bed, the bed, where the killing occurred into the courtroom. Paul is going to be the victim in this case. Can you lay down the bed first of all for us? Object to the term victim. It's for this jury to decide if Jeff Wright was a victim in this case. Tied one of her fellow assistant DAs who was approximate in size to Mr. Wright to the bed in her pantsuit, climbed on top of the bed, on top of him. If the defendant were to get up on top of Jeffrey Wright, something like this, and straddle him. And mimed the multiple stabbing. How do you think she held the knife? Put it in my hand. This is just in a speculation, objection. How do you think she held the knife? In a situation like this. I stopped and had a like jaw-dropping moment of this happened in a courtroom? Like what? It, it was kind of this drama brought to the space that really was supposed to be about fact. Acting out all of that just over and over definitely made an impact on Susan Wright. It made an impact on the individuals sitting in the courtroom and it undeniably made an impact on the jurors. Did you see anything consistent with a stab to the penis? Not to the penis itself, no. Because you saw what? It was nicked. It was a superficial cut. Superficial slicings like this. Right. Okay. I don't know that the jury can see you. I'm sorry, Judge. But more superficial movements to the penis area, not a stab area. A stab not, not a penetrating stab. It was, in my opinion, very dramatic and crass. It was unnecessary, but the judge allowed it. I think it really hit home with the jury. It gave them a front row seat to this salacious scenario. Where were most of the wounds concentrated on the body of Jeffrey Wright? In the chest, the neck, and the chest. We're talking about basically from above his belt to right below his chin, yes. OK? To create this version of events that is based on nothing more than the sheer speculation of Kelly Siegler and the homicide detectives, that, to me, is something altogether calculated to skew the fairness of the trial. What else did you see? You see wounds where the uh, knife blade is what you would call horizontal, if we call this vertical. More this horizontal. way? Yes, sir. So there were some wounds where the knife blade goes into the body at this direction? Correct. Consistent with someone perhaps standing beside the body and flicking the wounds that way? Correct. When I first talked to Kelly about the case, one of the first things that she did mention was we have the bed that, that the murder happened in and we're bringing it into the courtroom. And she said, I'm going to tie you up to that bed and we're going to do a demonstration. I said, I don't know who you're tying up in that bed, but it will not be me. Move your hands up like you're trying to get me. That's all you can move? I've been doing this for a very long time. And I can tell you, as sure as I'm sitting here, this was the only case where I've ever seen the so-called murder bed brought into the courtroom. And bringing that bed in on one level was a genius move because 
if a picture is worth a thousand words, that bed in real time is worth 10,000. And while I believed it was a genius move, again, for every genius move in this case, my take was that was wrong, and that was the basis for the initial appeal. That's not a stab like this, like you're mad, like you're afraid, like you can't, can't stop. Objection, Your Honor. I'm going to ask the prosecutor to get back down in your seat, please. Susan Wright killed her husband, Jeff, on January 13th, 2003, stabbing him 193 times and burying him at their home. Over the following week, she cleaned up the house, took care of her children, and filed a complaint with Child Protective Services, alleging that Jeff hit their four-year-old son, which resulted in a warrant being issued for her dead husband's arrest. On January 24th, 2003, she turned herself into authorities. The case was extremely strong. This was not a who done it. It was a why done it. And in our experience, the why done it was not a particularly strong argument. You're on the defense would call Susan Wright. This jury had to hear from Susan, had to see what happened that night through the lens of a woman who was acting out of the urge to save herself. Survivors want to be heard. Their voices have been taken away by their abuser. So being able to tell her story was a way for her to use her voice. We were flying blind on knowing what Susan was really gonna say if and when she took, her, took the stand. Susan, are you a violent person? No. Before this case here today, had you ever been arrested? or put on probation, or even charged with anything criminal? No. After you graduated from high school, where did you work? I worked at Gold Cup. What did you do at Gold Cup initially? Um, I danced for two months. Why did you quit being a dancer? I didn't like it. One of the defining moments during Cross was Susan was a topless dancer. I mean, so what? What does that have to do with her culpability at the guilt-innocent stage. I think that when a jury hears the word stripper or dancer, it automatically makes the jury think that she was out to get money, out to ruin Jeff's life. When you did that dancing, you agree with me that the way you made money doing that was to seductively, provocatively, with no clothes on at all, let strange men come up to you and pretend to those men for all you could that you liked them. Isn't that what being a dancer is all about? Actually, no, I enforced the two-foot rule, and I didn't like it. I didn't want people to touch me. I didn't like that, so no. I mean, I'm sure that's the case with most, but that wasn't the case with me. Uh, so you were the most prim and proper dancer to ever hit the history of the Gold Cup? Women still carry these societal expectations placed upon them about what's OK and not OK, and the prosecution played into that. After Bradley was born, obviously y'all took him home, right? Mm -hmm. Did Jeff change at all? Um, that's when he became a totally and completely different person. Did he start to become controlling? Yes, he did. What does he do to you? He punched me repeatedly in the chest and in the stomach. He kicked me over and over again until he wasn't angry anymore. 
Did you go to the police about any of this stuff? No, never. Did you document any of your injuries, your bruises? I never wanted to do that. I was afraid if Jeff saw the photos or if Jeff knew that I called the police, what he would do to me, no. As a society, we have these expectations placed on survivors about what a good survivor is. They can cry, but not too much. And if you don't cry enough, then you also look emotionless. Did Jeff end up hitting Bradley in the cheek? Yes, he did. I told him that I thought that he needed help with his anger and with drugs. And then I loved him and I would stand by him, but I couldn't take anymore. So you were trying to get Jeff to, do, to get some treatment? Yes. What was his reaction to that? What did he do? He became that different person, that angry person that he does. Did he grab you? He came at me and he grabbed me by my arm and threw me against the wall. And he told me not to give him any ultimatums, bitch, that I didn't have the right. He told me to get in bed. He took both of my hands and put them above my head. And with his left hand, he held them up there. And with his right hand, he took my boxers and he pulled them all the way down like he always did. And I, wanted, I didn't want to open up my legs, but he forced my left legs open with his right hand. And I closed my eyes. I heard his voice. And it was scary. It was, it was calm. And he said, die, bitch, and I opened up my eyes. When you opened your eyes, <laughs> did you see the thing Butcher Knife you'd seen? I saw it in his hand, and it was by his head, and it was shining off the light. What hand was it in? In his right hand. When you saw that knife, what was your reaction? I threw my hands up, and I grabbed the knife, and I started kicking him with my right knee. I was kneeing him. Susan. Your husband has been testified to weigh 220 pounds. How'd you get him off of you? I didn't want to die. He was going to kill me. And I was scared I couldn't stop. What did you hear that made you stop? Bradley was at the door. I remember Kelly grabbed my knee like, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding? Because we had no clue that that was coming. The kid came in in the middle of this. You pray to God he didn't see his father. But to see what she looked like, is there, I mean, she had to have been covered in blood at that point. And you just have to hope that the child doesn't remember that in, in later years. I went to the dresser, and I got a tie. And then I tied up his right arm to the bed so that he couldn't get up because I was afraid he was going to get up and come after me when I was putting Bradley back to sleep. She literally has to stop stabbing her husband to go answer the door check on her child and put him back to bed. And to hear that in the courtroom, to know that she had that moment where she could have stopped, she did stop, but then she returned, got a new knife and began stabbing again, was a huge moment of this was maybe not premeditated, but this was very much intentional. And when you saw the dolly, what'd you do with it? I got it, and I, I put it under Jeff. Did you tie Jeff to that dolly at all? Yes, I did. I had to get him off the dolly and pull him, and I ended up rolling him into the dirt. My brain couldn't process that there's no way that all the horrific, terrible things that happened in that room, my brain wouldn't let me accept it. There's no possible way. 
he was still alive and he was going to come back. To me, it was very obvious when Susan testified that she had run through some practices. It came across as extremely disingenuous. Anytime Kelly would hit her with a question about, you know, well, why didn't you call the police then or do something? Her answer was, I believed he was alive and he was going to come up out of that hole and kill me. And it just didn't ring true. Have you read anything about battered wife syndrome since you got charged with murder, Ms. Wright? <clears throat> no. And he beat me until he wasn't angry anymore. That is the truth. Did you practice that line with Mr. Ward? There was no practicing. I'm telling the truth about what happened in our relationship, and I'm sorry, but that is the truth. But this man who was so heavy you couldn't drag him, you testified yesterday that when he was on top of you with the knife, you were strong enough to get a cocaine frenzy, six foot two, 225 pound man, off of you with one hand and snatch a knife away from him with the other. That's what you told us yesterday, isn't it? Yes, I was fighting for my life, yes. Well, you were fighting for your life when you were dragging him to that hole, too, because you needed to cover up the body that you just killed, didn't you, Miss It Ryan? wasn't a cover-up. I didn't feel safe with him in the house, and he had to be out of the house because he was going to come back in and hurt me. That was very real to me. Kelly's cross-examination of Susan was a textbook example of what a prosecutor does to score points, to destroy the defendant, the defense, and the defense team's credibility. If the defense attorney is unable or unwilling to have his clients back. It, it's going to go south in a hurry, and it did. You had the presence of mind in your state of sheer panic to stop the stabbing, answer the door, take care of Bradley, and then come back and finish stabbing. It wasn't a presence of mind. It was out of a fear for Bradley. I was worried about him. Did you hear the medical examiner testify that you didn't stab his penis. What you did was nick at it no, and I take a little slashes at it. No, I did not slash at him. That's not a stab like this, like you're mad, like you're afraid, like you can't, can't stop. Objection, Your Honor. I'm going to ask the prosecutor to get back down in your seat, please, and refrain from doing this two feet from the witness. The bed was there. The prosecutor was banging on the stand. All of those things are going to stir up all of those emotions that make that situation even more overwhelming than it already is. On January 13, 2003, you were able to, on that day, disarm him and take away a knife and push him off your body and stab him to his death. Is that right? Yes, because that is the truth. I did not want to die. And you would never lie, would you? I am not lying. That is the truth. Once the cross was over and Susan stepped down, this case was over, period. Horrifying testimony of a brutal killing, the recreation of the murder scene, complete with actual bloodstained mattress and an emotional defendant. Susan Wright's murder trial was coming to a close would the defense convince the jury to give Susan probation as allowed by Texas law? Or would she spend much of her life behind bars? I don't think there was a chance in hell when she walked in there that she was walking out a free woman at all. The defendant, Susan Lucille Wright, stands charged by indictment with the offense of murder. Kelly Sigler thought it out. Seduction turned slaughter. I love that. Wasn't true, but... Neil Davis and Todd Ward were either unable or unwilling to come up with a compelling, coherent, credible defensive theory. And like they say, the proof was in the pudding. Susan Wright had two options and two plans. Plan number one, 
conceal it so she would never have to face up to the fact that it had happened? Or plan to convince you and convince the world that for a person to be stabbed 193 times while tied to his own bed and then buried in a hole in his own yard that he had dug himself, that he deserved it. Jeffrey Wright used to have a saying that there are no answers for the dancers. I would submit to you that the answer for this dancer is guilty. The moment you've got to focus on is when Jeffrey Wright is hovering over Susan with this knife and he said, die, bitch. And that's the moment that I started with in my opening statement. That's where we end with here today. Because it's at that moment that you have to determine if Susan Wright was in imminent fear and whether she acted in self-defense. This was not a normal marriage. This was a, a, a brutal, uh, terrifying, uh, sadistic relationship that spanned years where Susan was Jeff's mental and physical punching bag. What you're left with is the word of Susan Lucille Wright, the word of a card-carrying, obvious, no doubt about it, caught red-handed, confirmed, documented liar. How long has she been lying? Since her arm got tired of plunging a knife into Jeffrey's body, she's been lying ever since. She is guilty of murder. Has the jury reached a unanimous verdict? I have your um, Would you hand that verdict to the bailiff with the defendant, please stand? State of Texas versus Susan Lucille Wright. We, the jury, find the defendant, Susan Lucille Wright, guilty of murder as charged in the indictment. The jury in this case has rendered its final decision. And uh, while we uh, disagree with uh, the decision, we strongly believe that Susan acted in self-defense. I personally did not find her credible. There was uh, too many holes in her story, and that's my opinion. To the extent that this jury was out, I believe, five hours, that tells me that by the time they went back in the jury room, read the jury instructions, selected a foreman, maybe ordered pizza, they're like, okay, let's go around the table. All right, yeah, that's that. And it's a one-word verdict, guilty. I was not surprised at the verdict with the lack of information brought into the courtroom about domestic violence, about experiences of trauma. While we may have been sympathetic that he wasn't the ideal husband, we absolutely never got the impression that he was the serial abuser that she attempted to portray him as during trial. Susan is the sweetest, most tender-hearted person I've ever known. You would never ever, ever have suspected that Susan could come to that class. Would Susan be a good candidate for probation? She certainly would. I mean, how can a human being do what she did to my son? <laughs> Stab him in the eyeballs, but he's awake. <laughs> you can't believe she did. She's evil. 
the only thing that could have potentially let Susan Wright walk out the front door of the courtroom after the jury was done deliberating was if they found that she had acted in, in self-defense. But they had a mountain of evidence and logic working against them. Having found the defendant, Susan Lucille Wright guilty of murder, it now becomes your duty to assess the punishment in this case. The punishment for murder shall be by confinement in the Institutional Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for not less than five years, nor more than 99 years or life. Two months after the murder, Susan Wright is fully enjoying Plan B. She's out getting glamour shots with her kids. And look at that face. Is that the face of post-traumatic stress disorder? Battered wife syndrome? That's the face of somebody who got exactly what she wanted. She's now labeled as a murderer. She can live with that. She's fine with that, as long as we don't punish her. Why weren't there any battered women's experts in this case? Let me be candid with you. Trying this case, either at guilt, innocence, but particularly punishment, without an expert on battered women's syndrome is like doing Hamlet without Hamlet. Have you thought about when you take this knife and have you counted 193 times with this knife? Count it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, 193 times. Do you know how long that would take? She deserves no less than 45 years in prison. If some of you are sitting there thinking she deserves a life sentence, there's not gonna be a lot of people who argue with you. I think that the jury that Susan was given really understood her plight and they gave her a lesser sentence, even though it was still extensive at 25 years. I think that they could see past the crime and see the woman and the trauma and the abuse that she was suffering and they cut her a break. I thought it was a little low given how gruesome the crime scene had been and the extreme efforts that she had put into the, the cover-up of the murder. It's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to convince a jury of Harris County citizens that your client ought to catch the elevator with them when this trial is over. And that's why punishment is what this case was all about. And that's why battered women's syndrome is a factor in mitigation of punishment is so important. And that was our ticket to a new punishment hearing. When Brian Wise came in, he was basically this new appellate attorney that took on her case pro bono and said, look, your attorneys didn't really do you justice this last time. I'm gonna try and get you a new sentencing. And what he did was he actually got an ex-girlfriend of Jeff Wright. She had even filed a police report against him for assault. Susan was resentenced by another jury to 20 years. The stabbing of someone 193 times cannot be normalized. We need interventions for survivors prior to it getting to that point. What do I put on the back of the business card in this case? She might not have been Central Casting's version of a battered wife, but she was. Period. Paragraph. Deal with it.
Susan Wright was released from prison on December 30th, 2020, after serving more than 16 years behind bars. She's required to undergo anger management and to wear an ankle monitor. She'll be on probation until 2024. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another episode of the Court TV original production, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. If you'd like to see more episodes, you can watch them on demand on our website. Just check the show notes for the link. And you can see me on my show, Closing Arguments, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern, where we look at the biggest legal stories across the country. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.